Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. The 2020 season is in the books. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the season is a wrap. The Buccaneers are world champions. We're going to welcome in Field Yates of ESPN to talk about next steps for the Miami Dolphins. We'll look back at the first two years under Chris Greer and Brian Flores and project where this team is going. All of that and more on this Tuesday, February the 9th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And so the Super Bowl is in the books. It's a wrap. Not the game, I think, from a competitive standpoint, the neutral observer typically roots for. I was personally pulling for the AFC side because typically I do root for the conference the Dolphins are in, unless it's been a division opponent over the last several years. But the Chiefs come up short to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady's first year in Tampa Bay yields a Lombardi Trophy number seven for Brady all time. What a heck of a run he's had. What a heck of a career he's had with that Buccaneers team. Thought it was kind of cool to see Ndamukong and Sue get his first ring. A guy that's been a productive player in the league for a long time, was a member of the Miami Dolphins for quite some time as well. He gets his first ring. So congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They pull off the upset in the Super Bowl. I, you know, I thought the Chiefs were going to win that game and they just were sloppy from the start. It seemed like in terms of the penalties, how many flags came out in that game? They had double digit flags for over a hundred yards in that game. Patrick Mahomes on the move constantly throughout the course of the night. Some of the incompletions he had in that game were, I mean, the highlights of the game because of how impressive they were throwing the ball, falling to his side. One of the best memes I saw on Twitter on Super Bowl Sunday was a side-by-side shot of that incomplete pass that Mahomes threw on fourth down where he's basically parallel to the ground, falling to the ground side-by-side with White Goodman from Dodgeball, Ben Stiller's character in that great Vince Vaughn movie back in like 2005. Pretty much the exact same throw there from Patrick Mahomes. So he remains ridiculous despite the fact that he and the Chiefs are now 1-1 in Super Bowls with that collection of players. But that means the end of the season now. It means it's all about 2021, free agency on the periphery, draft season, well within draft season right now. And I put the off-season calendar for the NFL up in Monday's Blitz article up on MiamiDolphins.com where we look at the timeline for certain events to occur around the league. Of course, this year we're not going to have the scouting combine with everybody descending onto Indianapolis, but there is the window for the franchise and transitional player that is from February 23rd to March 9th where teams can designate one franchise or a transitional player from March 15th through 17th. Those are the three days before free agency begins where clubs are permitted to contact and enter into contract negotiations with player with agents of players rather who will become unrestricted free agents on the new league year. And that new league year starts on March 17th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Set your calendars right now. Set your alarm clocks for March 17th, the start of the new league year. That's when everything really gets going here. And that's on a Wednesday for you guys here. So free agency, we're going to have that covered on drivetime at miamidolphins.com. In depth, every signing, every action we take will be all over that. So the official start of the new league year, March 17th, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. 
And on April 19th, off-season workout programs can begin. And on April 23rd, the last day for restricted free agents to sign their offer sheets occurs. And then finally, we have the draft on April 29th through May 1st. And the draft is scheduled to take place this year in Cleveland, Ohio. All right, let's go ahead and get to my guest now on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, the Tuesday, February the 9th edition, Field Yates of ESPN. And riding shotgun now on the Drive Time Podcast is Field Yates. He's an NFL insider for ESPN and co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. And Field, I think you're missing one major skill set here from the Twitter bio, man. Senior Bowl anchor extraordinaire. (laughs) I had a lot of fun down there in Mobile. And, you know, I'll go through the usual and say thank you for the opportunity to my employer. But I'm being sincere when I say that, right? ESPN put some faith in me to go down to Mobile and be a part of the tremendous coverage. It was such a fun event, though, in so many ways. You know, I think in any year it's fun. But, and I was talking about this with some of my colleagues that were down there, Louis Riddick, Mike Tannenbaum, and Todd McShay. Just felt good to be on a football field. You know, many of us uh, have not been in a football stadium for close to a year, much less been on the field. To be at ground level, to be amongst uh, not just the players, but the two great coaching staffs, the Miami Dolphins and the Carolina Panthers, was a pretty special opportunity to be on lightly. Yeah, the things that we that we took for granted in the past, right? We no longer do. Like you mentioned that there was actually the the week two Dolphins and Bills game. I was there in the press box, and the CBS feed had got cut for like three or four minutes, and so I was literally like tweeting out my fan base, and they're like, "Travis's Twitter timeline is where <laughs> we're going to find the place for the game today." So it's it's been a crazy year, man. But I thought you killed it, and and you mentioned McShay and Riddick and Tannenbaum. Man, I, I wanted to ask you this because those are three, you know, heavy hitters in terms of football knowledge and football insight and resumes in the in the league. What is it like being around those guys when you're evaluating 135 prospects? Like you have to soak up some information, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's so unique because each one of them brings a different perspective as well, right? You know, Mike Tannenbaum will start there. Obviously, very familiar to Dolphins fans. He was, you know, either a GM or the EVP of football operations for basically 20 years, obviously, led the show in Miami, led the show in the New York Jets. And, of course, in the fact that it was Dolphin staff, but there were time people that Mike was very familiar with. I felt like I was walking around with the mayor of Mobile <laughs> when you were near Mike Tannenbaum. But Mike has basically seen every single situation. Lewis Riddick did not just play the game. He also was a scout for many years, a working personnel for many years, with both the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. And now he's evolved into one of ESPN's foremost game analysts, obviously part of the Monday Night Football booth broadcast. And you can tap into all the different uh, tenets uh, of his coverage. And then you've got Todd McShay, who's just a library. And I'm fortunate to do the podcast called The First Draft with Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, every single Tuesday, we drop an episode at 4 p.m. Eastern, so I'm fired from the shameless plug. And it never ceases to amaze me that these two have an energy that is unmatched and a passion that's unmatched, and a Rolodex of information that's unmatched about these prospects. There are thousands, and I'm not exaggerating there, of players they are responsible to be somewhat familiar with by the time the draft rolls around. Each of them could basically uh, discuss those players as if they were their own children. They have such good knowledge of them. I love working with all those guys. That's what makes the draft, watching the entire seven-round 
you know, extravaganza for a week. And ESPN does such a great job on the coverage because you get these inside stories on these kids that you probably didn't know beforehand. Like, for instance, last year, Solomon Kinley, the big fish, the lifeguard for the Miami Dolphins, that, that great story, that that provided us so much content this year for MiamiDolphins.com and here on Drive Time that we didn't know about before that ESPN shared that story. So that was that was really cool to see. And, and you mentioned, you know, being down there on the field in, in Mobile for the, pra- for the Senior Bowl for all those practices and feel I think my favorite part of the coverage was the mic'd up segments with the coaches like what was that from your what was that like from your guys' perspective as far as getting those coaches mic'd up and just hear what they had to say on the practice field yeah there's no two ways about it that's the best part and you know when we go down there it's a four hour well two hour broadcast 30 minute break and then two hours more for each of the practices and in speaking with our producer Brian Ryder going uh, into the event you know, I, I was hammering him with questions like, what are we going to do here? And he said, we're good. We're going to hang for two hours. We're going to watch football for two hours and talk about it. And it's unlike anything else that we do, at least in terms of my responsibilities at ESPN. Everything else, you know, you spend a day working on an NFL live rundown and it you know, starts at 7 a.m. that morning until you go on the air at 4 p.m. So that's what's so great about the senior bowl is that the best part without question is when the coaches are animated, the coaches are giving you sound, you get to see the passion of these coaches and there's not one way to skin the cat when it comes to coaching not every coach has to be you know in your face not every coach has to be sort of this quiet stoic leader not every coach has to be a guy who you know does it with energy or enthusiasm or positivity or you know criticism everybody's different and that's what I really enjoyed watching both the Panthers and of course the Dolphins staff as we got to see a handful of different uh, Dolphins coaches uh, mic'd up and um, you know, it was great to be able to chat with them a little bit, you know, between drills and before practice as well. But to hear that sound when they're on the field doing what they love, I think is the coolest part of the broadcast because football coaching sounds like a dream job to a lot of people. And it is for many. It's also a life that is incredibly demanding. You might as well basically say goodbye to your family from the time you report to training camp until the time the season is over. But the reason why they do it is not just because they want to feed their family and they want to provide, you know, a great life for their family as best they can. But it's because they love teaching. They love to be teachers. They love to be on the field with the players. And that's the sound that you get. You can see how contagious their energy is. And we got a good uh, up-close shot there of Coach Campanelli, the Dolphins linebackers coach. And I think he lost his voice about halfway through one of those stack and shed drills. And I was going to say, maybe you go ask him about some food too, because he's the kind of guy that we had him every other week on the, on the press conferences here. And he would talk about his Sunday dinners back in Jersey, man. He's, he's a character. He was fun to watch out there. Now you mentioned something there field that I want to touch on further, because you talk about these guys being teachers. That's a point of emphasis for Brian Flores. And he, he's kind of made this staff into his vision in terms of bringing in guys from different areas of, you know, whether it was uh, coach Kirk Koontz from last year, who was a high school coach in 2019 and comes yeah. in and leads the Dolphins third down defensive meetings this year for the number one third down defense in the National Football League. Now Charlie Fry here, the quarterback's coach, kind of turning over the coaching staff and getting his staff under his vision. What do you make of the changes coach has made to his, to his coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, so this is, this is going to be Flo's third year with the Dolphins, and there has been quite a bit of change. I mean, obviously they had a change of defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator last offseason. They did it again on the offensive side of the ball this offseason with Chan Gale. He's a great, great man, and I wish him best in retirement, uh, deciding to retire once again from football. So I think one thing that we learned this year, Travis, is that we have, on the outside, it's our job. I mean, in the media, it's our job to make judgments and, and, and form opinions. 
and to do our best with the much, as much information as we have. Uh, and we try to do so responsibly. The reality is that as much as we think we might know or we perceive ourselves to know, the people on the inside have a much better foundation of knowledge to work off of and decide what's right for the staff, what's right for the team. So as we've seen all these changes, not just this offseason, but even dating back to last offseason, you know, it might be easy to say like, oh, you're changing both coordinators after one year? That seems unusual, right? Well, I think it worked out pretty well. And it's not just the coaching staff. We saw where a major decision was made by Brian Flores that received some public backlash. I mean, obviously the decision at quarterback this year to go to Tua, enter in the bye week with the team playing well and Fitzy having led a couple of back-to-back wins. One thing I've come to know about Brian Flores, and I've been fortunate to know him for, I want to say, 17 or 18 years now, is that um, he's a man that will refuse to be sucked onto the emotional roller coaster. Uh, and that's a, that's a very positive strength of his, is that you can say whatever you want about him. I don't think he's particularly phased by that. And if you're going to be a football coach for a long time, you better not be phased by it because there's a lot of noise. I mean, we're having podcasts and doing TV shows and radio shows and writing articles every single day. And I think that it's important for coaches to be able to block out the noise while also addressing what might be topical in the media when need be. And Flo's done an unbelievable job of sort of telling that line masterfully. And, and you mentioned it right there, the quarterback position, right? That was the kind of the storyline down the backstretch of the season. And I wanted to touch on that because you mentioned, you know, Lewis Riddick and Todd McShay. They had kind of gotten into that conversation at the end of one of the days of, of senior bowl practices. I forget which one, Wednesday or Thursday. But they, they touched on it. And, you know, Lewis is never one to, to mince his words. That's what I love about him is he's so assertive and confident in his opinion. And he put it on Twitter. He talked about it like, I don't understand this you know, it's not new to 2020, but it's this concept of the quarterback has to show you he's a superstar in the first few starts. Otherwise, you have to find the replacement. But he was adamantly against that. Todd McShay, who was a big fan of Tua's coming out of college and still remains so, they both were very much focused on this point that let's see what Tua can grow and develop into year two. Like, where does the league sit as far as quarterback development, how long it's supposed to take? Like, is it really the way fans talk about it on social media? Or does the league have more of that pulled back classic, like, let's develop this guy mindset? Well, I think probably speaking generally, and I want to speak generally to start, is that I think the league and teams are more inclined to develop. You know, you didn't invest a fifth overall pick on a player to prepare yourself to pull the plug one year later, which that's been part of the conversation surrounding two of this offseason is, and I want to get to the second part of that in a minute. But there are examples around the league of players that have thrived with development. Whether it's a player, I think the best example this year is obviously Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills, who has reached incredible heights uh, in his third season when many were ready to write him off two years ago, right? I mean, everybody said he can't throw accurately. He's not going to make too many bad decisions. There was the playoff game last year, as in the 2019 season against the Texans, where he's laddering the ball haphazardly. So that's an example of somebody that has grown and developed tremendously. I mean, there are guys that make those strides and it takes some time. So, but there are two dynamics that I want to get into. And I'll start with this is that you're right. The other issue we have is that we're in a league where we have examples of quarterbacks bursting onto the scene. Justin Herbert this year is a great example. And the fact that he was taken one pick behind Tua 
is a fact of this conversation. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, revisit who made the right pick or who did it. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just stating the fact that when you have one guy going fifth, one guy going sixth, and the pick six player ends up having a tremendous offensive rookie of the year season, that enters the minds of fans that are wondering whether it's time to reconsider things. The other dynamic here is that the Dolphins, I don't want to say the word gift because it's not a gift. They pulled up a master strokes trade to acquire two first round picks for the Houston Texans. I don't believe, I obviously haven't asked this question, um, but I, I would be surprised if Chris Greer or Brian Flores is expecting the 2021 first-round pick to be third overall. You have this incredible asset on your hands. Again, I, I'm not here to state my opinion about whether who they should pick with number three overall, but the only reason why this is so different than a, a different circ- than another circumstance is just that you have this opportunity potentially to draft a quarterback. We know it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence available, whether it's a Zach Wilson, whether it's a Justin Fields. One of those two players is guaranteed to be available at pick three. It's opportunity cost. And again, I'm not here to say that they should or should not. I think it's important, though, to identify the dynamics of why this conversation is taking place. My belief, and this is all things being equal, is my preference is to invest in a player, develop a player, support that player, and you and I are having this conversation the morning after the Super Bowl. And I understand that this player is not a rookie. But I thought that the ascension of Leonard Fournette in the playoffs for the Buccaneers was really notable because many, myself included, had some fun about the idea that this guy who was supposed to be, you know, a franchise altering running back all of a sudden is not for the Jaguars, right? You're like, wow, Leonard Fournette can't even get picked up off waivers. And I understand his salary was more significant at the time, et cetera. But no one was talking about Leonard Fournette as like this massive game-changing player anymore, right? It was, wow, that guy was a buck. Well, in the playoffs, I'm not saying he was the Bucks' best offensive player, but he was phenomenal. He scored in every single game, caught nearly 15 passes, ran the ball effectively, had a long rushing touchdown last night. It's a team sport, man, and you got to invest in these players. you got to believe in them, and you got to prove to them that if you are going to ask of them to give everything they have, that I'm also willing to reciprocate by developing you and putting everything I can behind you to make you a better player. And I think the Dolphins have, even though it's a brief tenure with Brian Flores, have a pretty good track record of developing players. So that's why if you, you know, told me right now, state my case, are they taking a quarterback or not? Or is it Tua again next year? I believe it'll be Tua again next year. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought that, the, the development hallmark up of Brian Flores, because he talks about it all the time. I mean, I've, I've written so many pieces this year, Field, about how Emmanuel Ogba had a breakout season, or how Eric Rowe, and you know, right. year number six is having the best year of his career at a new position, or Bobby McCain moves to safety, a new position, and has, you know, kind of a resurgence in his career as well. So it's not just exclusive to rookies, first-year players, second-year players. I mean, guys develop all the time at different stages of their career, and, you know, that brings me back to kind of an interesting point about about where this Dolphins team is right now today field you talk about the morning after the Super Bowl in 2021 compared to where they were let's go back to when Brian Flores was hired the day after the Super Bowl back after the 2018 season where this team was coming in they knew they had some contracts to get off the books they had to kind of restock the draft capital like where was your 30,000 foot view be of where this team has like how far they've come in those 24 months from the day Brian Flores was hired with Chris Greer as the GM to now where they are with all this draft capital they're they're in good shape cap wise they've got a much better roster how would you say they've kind of grown those 24 months 
masterfully. And I'm not trying, this is not one of those where you go on a podcast that runs <laughs> on the team's website and you do your best to say as many nice things. So it sounds like a great interview and you get a bunch of listens and clicks and retweets and all that. <laughs> I'm saying this because it's a fact. And, and, and maybe Dolphins fans don't want to revisit this. Two years ago, less than two years ago at this point, the Dolphins were losing games in historic fashion. There's always that joke that rears itself on Twitter. Could Alabama beat the worst team in the NFL? And that's and it's always lame, and it's obviously never going to happen. It would the Dolphins at the time would have creamed the, the the Alabama Crimson Tide. But the point is that this team reached about as low of an on-field performance point as you could in the NFL. We haven't seen, and and I and, and we all understand this was you know short-term pains for long-term gains. But I wasn't expecting that long-term gain to happen a year later, yeah. right? And so we got to address a few things. The people, and the people are unquestionably the right ones in place. You know, Brian Flores, I know he didn't earn, did not win it, but if you told me Brian Flores was the NFL's coach of the year this past year, I would have said, good, he deserved it. Chris Greer, phenomenal job. Outstanding person, level-headed leader. Process. How's the process been? Have they made investments that have proved worthwhile? We just mentioned. Emmanuel Ogba is an example. Guys. Really good. Maybe in Howard, a player that they've developed themselves, by the way, a second round pick. And I know that that was a previous regime, but still, player who was right there in the thick of the defensive player of the year conversation. Guys on the offensive side of the ball that were rookies that were contributing right away. Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, playing some this past year. Guys like Jesse Davis, who are you know, under the radar acquisitions at the time that have evolved into either team captains or useful pieces. So, process, I am on board with. People, I'm on board with. The big question is simply going to be, and I'm not trying to make this about one person. But as we know, the quarterback-driven league, if Tua makes that next step, watch out. It's just a fact. And you, and obviously there's some pieces you got to probably reinforce. I think they could stand to add a little bit more size at wide receiver. Um, but this is a team that I think is equipped to make more strides going forward. As, as you kind of gather the, you know, I, to go back to the quarterback position, like you mentioned their field, as you kind of gauge the temperature of the league, is that a, a pretty general expectation for the quarterback from year one to year two to make that jump? Like why for fans that maybe don't understand the difficulty of going from college to the NFL at that position where lights, camera, action, man, everything's on you. There's 32 faces of the franchise when it comes to the quarterback position. What's the biggest challenge for that big step? And is there a league-wide expectation? Like, yeah, once the guy's out of that rookie season, especially in a pandemic-driven offseason where there is no offseason, where this guy's coming back off of a hip injury that basically he had to rehab the whole offseason, is there a general expectation for a pretty big leap there? Yeah, I don't know that I've heard this specifically from Brian Flores, um, but I know that I heard this for many years when spending a lot of time around the Patriots and also spending a little bit of time covering them too, is Bill Belichick has always remarked on how typically the player's biggest leap in his NFL career is going to be from year one to year two. And I always laugh at like people ask what happens during rookie minicamp when these guys arrive to the facility under normal circumstances for the first time. And it's like, Oh, they, they teach them where the, the locker room is and like, <laughs> what the person who like, you know, the security guard's name is, right. It's not like they're getting right in. So here's how we're going to play cover two and this, you know, down in distance. It's no, 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 no. Like it's fundamental. You're learning. Like, I know this sounds ridiculous, but one of the first installs you'll have is for offensive players. How do we huddle up? Where's the left tackle? Where's the right tackle? Some guys obviously never huddled in college. And sometimes it's a little bit different than how other guys who did huddle in college. So my point is that typically that jump happens between the first and second year. 
Now, we've also seen it between years two and three. We saw it with somebody like Josh Dar- uh, Josh Allen, excuse me. And then there are other players who it might happen later, like Sam Darnold might be an example of a guy that circumstantially hasn't had quite the same pieces around him. So that's why I think this upcoming year could potentially be one that we have all eyes on Tua because let's, let's just operate under this presumption. He's the guy going into the season and that the Dolphins use some of their resources available to maybe pad the offensive playmakers a little bit. Whether that's addressing, as I mentioned, wide receiver to me is an area they could add some depth. And then I don't know that running back is a need or if it's not a need. The reason why I say that is that on the one hand, Miles Gaskin, seventh round pick, and Savan Ahmed, a waiver wire ad, play tremendous when given the opportunity. On the other hand, the Dolphins also turned to five running backs this year for stretches between those two players, plus Jordan Howard before he was waived, plus Matt Breida, who's going to be a free agent, plus Patrick Laird. So maybe the team says, hey, rather than five guys, let's streamline this. Let's go to, you know, let's, let's find one workhorse back, for lack of a better uh, a term. So if those pieces are put in place, and assuming that the system, which I, I don't think will be overhauled because it's two promotions, two co-offensive coordinators, I think that Tua could be primed for quite a leap this year. Now, I did see the uh, the fantasy the fantasy focused football podcast love for both Gaskin and Ahmed Fields. So we appreciate that definitely here on the Drive Time sure. podcast. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned the story about having the rookies find the locker room, for instance, because I got a good story for you real quickly here. This was my first year in Miami covering the team, and my first week in the building. You know, our, our old practice facility, which will be will will move to the stadium this year uh, at in Miami gardens, but the practice facility in Davie, the upstairs hallways, it's a maze. It's an absolute maze. And if you're first time <laughs> up there, you do not know where you're going. And it was like my third day on. And I was still trying to find the kitchen where the bathroom was and stuff like that. Cause you just get lost up there and Raekwon Davis. So you've got 150 pound me and 330 pound Raekwon Davis comes in intersection. And we, I saw him in the, in the lobby earlier and he's like, where the hell am I going? I'm like, I think you turn around and go that way, but I'm not sure. Luckily I was right. So I looked like I knew what I was doing, but just a fun little story about how, you know, you got to find your way around the building first before you can worry about playing three technique, right? (laughs) uh, Totally. I mean, I I know what you're talking about. I mean, it's much different scale and not that being an ESPN employee is as physically demanding as being an NFL player. But I remember when I first got here, I showed up to the gym. I, First time I get there and they're like, oh, you got to bring your own towel. <laughs> so like I finish up a workout and I'm like, great, where's it? You know, next thing you know, I'm like walking back into uh, into the office with a sweaty forehead. It's like <laughs> these are little silly, you know, tiny steps that you got to take that uh, that impact uh, your day to day that you got to learn when you're a rookie or a new person on the job. Yeah, exactly. You, you mentioned uh, the Super Bowl happened on Sunday, and, and I remember Chris Godwin on Hard Knocks one time. They they the coaches were so impressed. Like this guy went and got his own apartment. He went and took care of his own things. Like it's it's a different a different world for a rookie coming into the league, especially you know guys that are going out on their own for the first time. So. Uh, you know, speaking of that Super Bowl, I wanted to ask you kind of, you know, going back to the Chris Greer and you talked about the people in the process. I thought that was a great quote field. You mentioned, you know, Chris Greer putting together this, his personnel staff. I, I, I've known that he's, he's good at delegating. He has plenty of people that he puts into position of power to, to make these decisions and help them kind of collaborate in a team effort. But we just saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers shut down what, in my opinion, is the greatest offensive engine of all time and and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and all those guys and we saw the Chiefs get there because of that offensive engine and that quarterback so when you consider the end of the season and how far teams that 
110 games like Miami are to these teams that are competing for Super Bowls. What did we learn from that Super Bowl, and how can the Dolphins kind of apply that to the offseason to get closer and, and close that gap between they and the Chiefs and the Buccaneers of the world? So I would start here. Is You're right. It was a great performance last night by the Buccaneers, masterful defensive effort in so many ways. I mean, I, I think most people um, – you know, watch the game and are acutely aware of what happened. So I'm not going to rehash, you know, every single detail of what the Bucks did right or wrong. I will just say that there were some lessons that were reinforced last night. As I mentioned earlier, it's a quarterback-driven league, and I'll stand by that. But it's a team game, right? That's what we forget sometimes, is that the masterful performances of somebody like Patrick Mahomes sometimes numbs us to the impact of everybody else on the field. And I'm not saying... I think sometimes people get like a, they, they maybe misconstrue analysis in that Patrick Mahomes could have been better last night. He could have. His offensive line was completely overmatched last night. And we knew coming into the game that offensive tackle injuries were a concern for the Chiefs. They stepped up in a major way last night. Those injuries did, right? I guess they reared themselves in a major way last night. So the team building lesson is that it's a team, team building, right? Um, I also think, Travis, one thing that's really interesting to me is that this is – being the Super Bowl champion is really tough. You know, it's been 16 years since we had a repeat champion. And that's the longest stretch ever in NFL history. As a matter of fact, I looked this up this morning. It's twice as long as the next longest stretch, right? And so what it reinforced to me, another reinforcement reference, is that not only is it hard to get back to the, to the mountaintop, but any given Sunday takes out the elements of predictability that you can sometimes see in other sports. And I'm not saying that other champions aren't deserving. But as we know, in the NBA, to borrow this reference right now, like the Lakers are going to be really tough to beat, provided LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the court for seven games, right? In football, I don't know how many times the Bucs beat the Chiefs or the Chiefs beat the Bucs if they play 100 simulations. Maybe it's 55-45. Maybe it's 70-30. I don't know. But it didn't matter because they played once in one game that mattered. And so for the Dolphins, it's not just addressing the need. It's not just elevation of quarterback play from Tua next year. It's also that you got layers of depth because it's the ultimate team-building sport. And if you've got those layers of depth, you got a chance. Yeah, exactly right. Especially when you, when you think about the the uh, you know coaching up a scheme or, or developing a scheme for a certain game plan. We saw that with the Bucks in that game and Todd Bowles and the fantastic job he did in that game. I want to ask you one more thing here, Field, with regards to the roster building idea because I, I'm curious and it, it pertains to the idea of you know having a, a multi year snapshot as far as how you build a football team. And maybe this is back to more of a general question for you since you are plugged into all 32 franchises. You know we're in year three now or, or approaching year number three here with Brian Flores and Chris Greer. Is there a certain point in an organization where, whether it's the timeline of the rookie quarterback contract or the third year of the process, fourth year of the process, where you switch and say, now maybe it's not so much about acquiring all that draft capital. Maybe we turn the wheel a little bit now and we get aggressive. Like, for instance, the best example for me is Los Angeles Rams. And, and, and this goes back to before these recent trades. When they would go out and get Brandon Cooks or Aqib Tlaib, is there a point in a franchise where you say, okay, now we're ready to twist the screws and be more aggressive? I don't think so, only because, you know, here's what I would say. It's not based off of the year. It's based off of the quarterback's readiness, right? So for the Chiefs, 
just to go back to them for a second, their quarterback proved in year two, he was ready to be a league altering player. So a year after, you know, after the Chiefs, they lost uh, in the AFC Championship game that year. Well, they're going to go out there and they're going to they're going to take some big swings now, right? Because they know they can. They acquired Frank Clark as an example, uh, a trade for in a, in a trade with the Seattle Seahawks. Those are the kind of things you do because you're like, you know what? Let's do it. Our quarterback is ready to do it, and that might be the difference between us winning and losing. But conversely, if your quarterback is not there by year two, you might need to keep waiting. I will say this, though. If your quarterback proves that he's ready during the first three seasons of his rookie contract, you start thinking about it. Only be, this, It's just a financial thing. It just is. Quarterback becomes extension eligible after year three. Usually a team is motivated to extend a player if he is worthwhile of an extension already unquestionably after year three. There are some advantages to both sides. So if you have a quarterback that shows he's ready within the first three years of his contract, the wheel does turn a little bit to borrow your phrase. Yeah, it's, and it's certainly easier when those draft picks come in the late 20s too opposed to, you know, like you mentioned, having the third pick in the draft this year, definitely a benefit. Hopefully an area the Dolphins are not picking in very very often for very long here under Brian Flores and Chris Greer. Field Yates, he's at Field Yates on Twitter, the host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, NFL Insider at ESPN, and the best damn senior bowl anchor in the game. Field, I appreciate your time today, man. If you got to get back on the Peloton, I understand, but I appreciate your time today, sir. I live. I love that that Peloton, man. That thing is awesome. So I appreciate you, and uh, best of luck during the off season. And uh, hope we catch up again sometime here soon. Sounds good, Phil. Appreciate it, man. All right. And there he goes, man. How great was that? Just some good nuggets there about not just the Dolphins, but the league in general. Some really good insight there into how things kind of operate this time of year. I've said it before in the podcast. The off season's kind of where you know a fan like myself lives because you get a chance to to play with the scenarios, and it's not so black and white like a result on game day. There's so many different simulations and, and permutations you can operate with and mock drafts. And, and if you guys are a fan of of doing the mock drafts, like the Draft Network stuff, also check out Fanspeak's Mock Off-Season Simulator. A lot of fun you can have there with giving out players' contracts and stuff like that. Just a lot of fun to participate as a fan this time of year. Put the GM hat on as we trust Brian Flores and Chris Greer to build this Dolphins team to their vision and continue that trajectory they are on. So Field Yates, ESPN, check out his work. He's a great follow, a great fantasy football expert, a great insider, plenty of great stuff to say about Field here on the podcast. As for this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, follow the team at Miami Dolphins, check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast, and of course, MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time, fins up.